And LaGrange Baptist Church, and you guys are a lot of things, but there's one thing you are, and that is a family. LBC is a family. I grew up with two sisters, no brothers, but I have brothers now. I have five beautiful daughters, no sons, but there are many young men in this place that I would love to call sons. My parents, my wife's parents, so my girls' grandparents all live in Texas, but many of you have been grandparents to my girls. The motherless have found mothers here. The fatherless have found fathers here. The childless have found children here. The church is meant to be a family. And that's how Paul ends this letter of 1 Thessalonians, with an emphasis on family. Five times in the verses that we're going to look at this morning does he call them brothers. And if you have an NIV, it would be brothers and sisters. And he's, that's a right helpful expression representing the word that he's talking to them as family, brothers and sisters. If you have your Bibles, please open to 1 Thessalonians 5. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 18. And in Jesus' ministry, he was once approached and he was told his mothers and brother, mother and brothers were outside asking for him. And he said, well, who? Who are my mother and my brother? My mother and my brothers, whoever does the will of the Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So he redefined family, Jesus did. That it's whoever does the will of the Father in heaven is in the family with Jesus. And so then in a family together. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we're united to him by faith. We're adopted into his, him, into his family, and God becomes our father. The body of believers is a family. And we're going to look at some family fundamentals this morning from this text and some family dynamics from this text. So fundamental things that inform everything we do as a family here, but also some dynamics that are lived out here as a family that we engage in. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 18, let's read those. Paul says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because, because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you for your grace right now in this moment. 
to hear and receive your word as truth, for your spirit to attend to your word and form your image in us, Lord Jesus. Convict us of sin, root it out. Give us a longing for holiness and blamelessness at your coming, a longing to see you give us a hunger for your truth now, attentive minds, alert hearts to what you have for us in your word. We ask this in your name so that your glory and renown would be known in us as a family here at LaGrange Baptist. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. So Paul is landing the plane of this first letter to the Thessalonians, and he's giving them ideas as a family, how we're to relate to one another, how are we to relate to the leaders, how are we to relate to God himself. And one of the things that you see in these letters, it's often implied when you read New Testament letters especially, and people tend to forget it, is that you were not meant to do Christianity alone. You weren't. We are not on our own. We're in this together. This is not a solitary life, but a shared life. That's the way it is in God's design. We cannot be the church by ourselves. I can't love anyone by myself, (laughs) right? I can't encourage somebody if I'm alone. We have to be with people. We belong to each other, being together, worshiping the Lord together, learning together, witnessing together. To choose to be alone, as one author said, is to invite sure failure or in a less winsome way that I grew up hearing, the Lone Ranger's a dead ranger. We are a family. We need each other. So four family fundamentals this morning and four family dynamics. Yes, eight points, but we got it. We got it, okay? Four family fundamentals. Now, we're going to start at the end of the letter first because a lot of times the last few verses of a book get overlooked and you kind of read them quickly. But let's dive into them starting in verse 25. The first fundamental thing we're going to see here is this emphasis on prayer. Verse 25, brothers, pray for us. So these fundamentals that we're going to learn are going to inform all of the dynamics that we live out. So hold on to these. We're going to kind of move through them fairly quickly. But you, again, see Paul appealing to them, brothers, you know, he's my my family, pray for us. He wants prayers. I, I wonder if you have something to pray for. When people say, how can I pray for you? If you I wonder if you say, I'm good. I don't, nothing. Well, the Apostle Paul needed prayer. So <laughs> we probably do too. Probably. I'm just going to go ahead and assume we do. I do. Because prayer does that. When you express a need for prayer, you're showing your own weakness, which is where the Lord Jesus Christ loves to meet you with his strength. Right? It, it reveals your need But asking for prayer often requires humility. And humility is beautiful. We aren't self-sufficient. So when when we express our need for prayer, this is an act of humility. And it's bringing, asking brothers and sisters to bring our requests, what we need, to the throne of God himself. We are not then afraid or ashamed to ask. It cultivates humility in us when we ask for prayer. And it displays great love, doesn't it? When someone has prayed for you, it shows that they care enough about you. They care about your pains, your struggles, your battles, that they want to pray for you. They want to lift up you to the Father as a family. And we need prayer. So this first fundamental is prayer. And can you think of anything more powerful than someone appealing to the eternal, omniscient, omnipotent, 
omnipotent God on your behalf. All power, all strength is his. All wisdom is his. He's everywhere at all times. Somebody praying for you. Is there anything more powerful than that? There isn't. God himself being appealed to on your behalf. So let's, fundamental one is prayer. Prayer as a family, we're a family of prayer. Fundamental number two, verse 26, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I'm sure y'all were excited about this one this morning. So this is the love, this emphasis on love, right? We're a people of prayer, we're a people of love. Now there was a common practice in the early church. There was a time and a place where they would exchange a holy kiss kiss. And for modesty's sake, women would kiss women and men would kiss men. And deacons would often be assigned to watch the children. So there you go, deacons. There's an idea. Some parents of young children are rejoicing right now. But the idea of greet one another, greet one another, has the idea of drawing someone in. A desire to be in the presence with someone. A longing for them to come to you and you to come to them. It shows that you love them. It's bringing you together. And it showed a complete unity among the people of God. Can you imagine what would happen at an early church gathering when, uh, let's say, masters were there and they would kiss slaves? Weak, feeble would kiss strong, established. Rich kissed the poor. Was no disrespect, no prejudice, no discrimination, no partiality, equal in Christ, equally loved by the Father, equally displaying love to one another. So, we receive culturally appropriate expressions of love around here. Unless you want to take it literally and you need to kiss to fulfill this command, which I don't think you do. You can give Pastor Rick a big old bear paw handshake. He loves to shake hands, don't you, Rick? Just gear up when you reach out and grab his hand. Pastor Rodrigo loves a good hug. I'll take a hug. Fist bump, handshakes, hugs, whatever you do. The goal is to display this love, affection for each other, that our community should be marked by a delight to see, a desire to greet and draw near, marked by love. The third fundamental is truth. Verse 27, Paul says, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. If you turn back one page, well, I don't know how many pages, to chapter 2, verse 13, one or two in your Bible. Paul's words, he was self-aware that his words were received as truth, as inspired, and the churches were as well. Look at verse 2.13, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as, it, as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So Paul has written them a letter, and he's saying this letter needs to be read by all. And so one of the fundamental things for us as a church is to be people of the truth, prayer, love, but truth. So he says, read this letter to all the brothers. And you're going to, as we address some of the specifics here, you'll see why, right? Because if, the, if there's an idle guy in the church and he's like, hey, uh, it's Paul's letter Sunday, I'm not coming. I'm skipping, right? You know, maybe somebody heard Pastor Cam wasn't preaching today and they're not here today. I don't know. So 
Paul's letter is going to be read. He's kind of hard on the idle and the undisciplined, so I'm skipping church that day. Paul says, no, have it read to all the brothers, all of them. This need for truth to be central to everything we do as a people of God. This, this is the word of God. It's our full, final authority. It can be trusted on all matters of life. So, so we have truth as a fundamental of us. Prayer, love, truth, and finally, grace. Grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, verse 28 says. And do you remember how the, ver- the book began or the letter began? Go back to chapter 1, verse 1. The letter, just like your life, just like your salvation, begins and ends with grace. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you, grace to you, and peace. Grace, just unmerited kindness, undeserved blessing, favor towards you that you haven't earned. It's by the grace of God that we're saved. It's by the grace of God that we endure day to day. It's by the grace of God that we'll see Jesus in the end and be accepted by him. All of life and all of salvation begins and ends with grace. And so it should mark us as people, gracious people. If we're harsh and unloving, we've failed to see how much grace Grace we have received from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so fundamentally, these things guide prayer, love, truth, grace. This grace levels us. We're a family of grace. We reflect on grace. We overflow with grace. We pray for one another. Truth guides our interactions. And we love each other. So we pursue one another. We draw each other in. We delight to be around each other. So you can see then how these next family dynamics are going to be informed by these truths, these fundamentals of family, prayer and love and grace and truth. And we recently read Endurance by Ernest, about Ernest Shackleton's failed mission to cross Antarctica, but he succeeded to get 28 men out alive after close to 500 days in below the Antarctic Circle. I mean, it's a remarkable story. But he had a family motto, by endurance we conquer, and that was what he grew up hearing as a family motto. And it shaped him clearly. And so what's shaping your home? What are fundamentals that are guiding your home and guiding us here as a church? What we hold to, what we reflect on, what we think on, what we talk about, what we pursue is gonna shape the culture here. And so fundamentally, those four of those key things are prayer and love and truth. And grace. And then that flows into everything else we do as a family. So then there's four family dynamics. So go back to verse 12 then in chapter 5. The number one dynamic is that we are a led family. L-E-A-D. We're led, not like get the lead out, like L-E-A-D. Somebody is leading you. As Paul says, we ask you brothers, there's that family, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So Paul's talking about 
me. <laughs> He's talking about pastors here. He's talking about elders, leaders in the church. And they are those who labor, who are over you in the Lord, who work. And that's what the respect is called for. It's because of their work, not their title. Lazy or immoral or reckless pastors do not have a call to be respected here. What kind of a pastor is meant to be respected as you are being led as a family are those who labor, who engage in hard work. He says, respect those who labor among you. This implies that the work is difficult. It leads to fatigue. It leads to weariness, just like many of your labors do. Ministry that costs nothing often accomplishes nothing. So pastors are prayed to are called to pray and study and preach and teach and counsel and reprove, rebuke, exhort, warn, admonish, all these things. And they need to give themselves to those things faithfully and diligently, and it should be guided by those fundamentals, right, of prayer and truth and grace and love. So that's a pastor that's to be respected. Or he, he says the one who is over you is to be respected. So pastors are over you. I guess that's why I'm up here. <laughs> no. Over you in the sense that they're meant to oversee you. They're under the Lord Jesus Christ. They're meant to oversee, watch over, to look out for wolves in sheep's clothing. Look out for false doctrine. Look out for sinful behavior. Look out for divisive things in the church. Look out for you. So we're over you in that sense, but under you in the sense that the call from Jesus Christ is to serve, right? Just as Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So the pastor is called to serve in the sense of being over you. And then the one who does that is to be respected. And one who admonishes you is to be respected. Admonished is going to come up again. As he says in verse 12, he'll talk about you doing it to one another, actually. So little spoiler alert, you're going to have the responsibility to admonish in just a minute. But admonish means to put the truth, corrective truth in someone's mind. And it always has some sense of warning to it. If you're thinking wrong, this I'm seeing some things in here and I'm concerned, brother. I, I think you're wrong in this and I'm, wor I'm worried about where it's leading you. I'm concerned about how it's causing you to depart from Christ. I'm concerned about how it's leading to sinful, destructive behavior in, in your life, and I, I think you're wrong in this. It's, it has this weightiness to it of correcting, and it should be done with great care, great humility, great patience and love and truth and grace and prayer. So where a pastor does those things, he's to be respected for his work, esteemed highly in love. And look at the following command to the church that follows this, how to relate to the pastors, right? Esteem them, look at verse 13, highly in love because of their work. But then it says, be at peace among yourselves. And I will tell you, the, one of the most encouraging, loving, gracious things you can do as a people for us, your pastors, is to pursue peace among yourselves. You know that in the home, a home that lacks peace is so hard. It's so hard, it's so difficult. And so be it when you're at peace among yourselves, you're affirming us, you're, you're encouraging us. And I talked to the pastors on staff on Monday morning, and we want to express clearly, you guys do this well. 
You esteem us highly in love. We as pastors feel respected by you. You pursue peace. I don't know if you know this, but we went through a pastoral transition in the middle of COVID and came back. And a lot of churches shut doors with their pastor. And so God has been amazingly gracious to us. You have pursued peace and unity beautifully, but we as pastors want you to know it's a joy to labor among you, even in the difficulty, and that we feel esteemed highly in love by you. So the, the di- one of the dynamics as a church is that you're a family that's led. You're a family that's led. But the second one is that you're a caring family. You're a caring family. Look at verse 14. He says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. A caring family. Because we are a diverse people with diverse needs. You get a room full of this many people, there's differences that exist among us, right? Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors is one of my favorite bands. They have a song called Family. One line goes like this. You don't choose them, you can't lose them. We all have a song to sing. Some are crazy, some are amazing, all got a little bit of everything. And that's us. That's us, right? Sometimes I'm the crazy, right? Many of you are the amazing. We kind of ebb and flow inside of some of those at times, right? Every church has a little bit of everything because we're family. And Paul gives us instruction on these three different types of people here with specific instructions for them each. So admonish the idol. Remember, this call to admonish the idol is a call to offer correction. With, there's usually some sense of warning attached to it. So you, family, are called to admonish one another when you see sinful, disruptive, unchristlike behavior, and it's never to go in with a hammer. Anybody that likes to admonish is in the wrong place. You're not doing it right. So you're probably going to do it too harshly and too often. Calm down. Okay, but it's a corrective effort to put truth into someone's mind where there's falsehood. All sin is that failure, a route to believe truth. And remember, that's one of our fundamentals, right? Is be a people of truth. And, and the idol are undisciplined people. They're disorderly people. They're those who fail to honor the Lord in their lives. And so we must come to them in prayer. Come to them with grace. Come to them with love. And come to them with truth. And offer admonishment, correction, rebuke into their lives. With tenderness. With an arm around them. With a commitment that you're my brother. I love you. I'm here for you. It's never easy to admonish, ever. It's the worst part of the job, but it's a shared load, a shared load. So we're caring enough to correct falsehood when we see it, but also encourage the faint-hearted. Faint-hearted literally means small-souled. It's someone who's lost strength. They're weak. They're despondent. They're anxiety-ridden. They're worried. The cares of this life are heavy upon them. They're not really sure how much further they can go, how much more they can bear. 
And so you're, you're, you're encouraging them. You come alongside them and remind them of God's all-sufficient grace. You bear burdens with them, help them labor on. You remind them, hey, someday Jesus is coming back. Someday this will end. Okay, God's given you gifts. He's given you strength. His strength is new every day. You're speaking life-giving truth to them and encouraging them to press on in the task. But you also have this call to help the weak. This here implies that you're very close to someone. You notice that they're weak. You know their needs. You know their weaknesses. So you come alongside them. Whether physical or moral weakness, you offer strength to them in their time of weakness. You're carrying the load for them for a time. And then finally, it says, be patient with them all. Don't you love that? I wish it was still interpreted long-suffering. Because it's, doesn't it sound much more real to, when you're told, hey, be patient with someone, or if you're told, hey, suffer a long time with someone? Because the word means long-suffering. Suffer a long time with someone. That's, put, that's a little more raw than be patient, isn't it? <laughs> so it's, this call is to go alongside the idle, the weak, the faint-hearted, and suffer for a long time with them as you're helping them, as you're encouraging them, as you're with them. Patience is immensely needed in this. And you tend to lack patience with those that sin the, less, the least like you. If you can't really understand why they sin that way, it doesn't make sense, you've never really struggled with it, you're probably not going to be all that patient with them. But just because their sin's not your sin doesn't mean they don't need help. Because we all have sins that we struggle with. And discernment is so important, right? To know who you're talking to, what their struggles are. As a caring people, care enough to ask a lot of questions. Care enough to find out exactly where these people are at. What's going on in your life? What's taking up the most time in your mind these days? What are the burdens you feel like you just can't seem to shake? What is, what's the mountain in front of you that you don't even know how you're going to get over that? What, what is it that the Lord's working on you in? Is there some behavior, some thoughts you'd love to be free from? Ask good questions so that you discern well how to help people. Because imagine the mistake, right? Imagine you step into someone who's weak and you admonish them instead of help them and encourage them. Or, or imagine you come to the idol and you offer encouragement. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Go ahead, buddy. Praise the Lord. He'll give you strength. But he's not pursuing good ends. He's undisciplined. Right? Don't enable the idol. Or if you're like, you're talking to the weak that are on their last breath. And you're like, you got this. I'm going to go encourage the weak. And they're like, I can't get out of bed today. I don't need encouragement. Like, I need you to come clean my living room. They need help, right? So we, it takes discernment and caution before we just plow ahead in our care for people. So often I've heard people speak the truth to someone, and it seems to me it's less out of a desire to help that person and much more out of a desire for them just to be free from this burden because they felt like they were supposed to speak the truth to this person. I've just been pressed. The Lord's pressed it upon me to tell you this. Without any awareness of everything going on in their life, 
And ultimately, it tends to reveal that you're more concerned about just getting this load off than you are actually coming alongside someone, getting to know them, speaking to them truthfully. It can be hard, church, but we must do it and to help one another discerningly. And we pastors would love to help you with this. We would love to help think out loud with you about friends or relatives or, or neighbors or whoever you're ministering to and how to best minister to them. But we've often received phone calls that were reported on, like we're told about some sin someone's seeing that we need to go address. And that's okay. But I tend to respond eventually with, well, what have you done? Like, what have you said to this person? Oh, not, I know. I'm telling you. I'll pray for them. But, but this text shows that as a family, we're to care enough for one another that you would go to them wisely with prayer and truth and grace and love. And how, how can I best speak into this person's life? What do they need from me? And when we do this, you know what we look like is we just look like Jesus. We display the love of Christ. We display the wisdom of Christ, the truth of Christ. And, you know, responding carefully and wisely to each other will not always yield perfect results. What is this? If you look at verse 15, right after this call to be patient with them all, see that no one repays evil for evil. Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. I think there's a reality that the one who needs admonishment or who is faint-hearted or who is weak, they might lash out at you. They might ignore you. They may return evil for your good. And your call is to overcome that evil with more good. Just keep doing good to one another both in the church and outside, in, in the world, that we're a family marked by doing good to one another, whether or not it's received well, whether or not it's returned with evil. We just keep pouring out good, the goodness of God, the kindness of the Lord to one another. So God's called us to be a family that does good, that cares, idle, help the idle, or admonish the idle, help the weak, encourage the faint-hearted. And this just displays the love and care of our Lord. Harsh words might be spoken. People might be neglected. We will fail each other in various ways. Welcome to family. <laughs> Welcome to the family. But we overcome evil with good, and we keep seeking to lovingly care for one another with wisdom and the goodness of Jesus Christ. So we're a led family, a caring family, and dynamic number three would be a worshiping family. A worshiping family. So... Our hearts are oriented towards the Lord as a family. We want to exalt him and speak of his great worth, speak of his glory, and tell him how glorious and wonderful he is. We don't want to be quenching the spirit, despising truth. We hold to what is good, abstain from evil. That's an act of worship. And I think it helps us to view these next few verses as if you're strolling down a, a long path. Life is kind of like this. You're strolling down a long path. God is above you. He's behind you. He's before you. The Holy Spirit is within you. And Jesus, what a friend we have in Jesus. Jesus is beside you. 
walking with you. The church is around you. And you're walking. Because you have all these calls, right? Look at verse 16. Rejoice always. And so everybody's like, well, that's impossible. Or verse 17. Pray without ceasing. That's impossible. Give thanks in all circumstances. Well, how am I going to do that? Like, who's going to cook dinner? How am I going to watch a football game? How do I do this? And I think it just helps us to think through this in terms of you're near the Lord. You're walking with the Lord. His spirit's inside of you. The church is around you. God's behind, above, ahead of you. There's nothing outside of God's presence. And so you're walking and dialoguing with the Lord every day. Every day. You're rejoicing. You're just expressing joy in the Lord at all times. Right? You're talking throughout the day. When I was, I got to go on a pretty long hunt with my dad just a, a few weeks ago. And it was so wonderful. We, we would be hiking and looking and thinking and talking. And we would check the map and say, are we in the right place? And where else can we find these animals? And let's check the wind and make sure. Like, we, dad, do you think this is a good idea? What do you think? And he'd make suggestions and we'd interact and talk. And then there would be like an hour where we'd be moving and not say a word. And I was never out of fellowship with my dad in those hours of silence. I was never not thankful for my dad in those hours of silence. We were always together. And when there was an any kind of momentary need or a decision that had to be made, we would just touch base and talk and interact and then make a plan and then move on. And I think that's what these verses are like. You're, just, you're going through the day rejoicing in the Lord. Oh, that's the kindness of the Lord. That was the goodness of the Lord. He gave me that. In his goodness and grace, it transcends all circumstances. You're praying without ceasing. So every day you're just walking with the Lord. You're talking to him. You're seeking his help. You're responding with joy when you see good things. When you're frustrated by something, you're, huh, this is wearing me out right now, Lord. You're talking with him about everything. You're just praying without ceasing. You're relationally walking down the road with Jesus at your side, the spirit inside of you, God all around you, the church around you. And so you're rejoicing then because as you're walking with the Lord, he's the giver of joy. He's the source of true joy. You're praying without ceasing because talking to him is prayer. So it's not, you know, traditional forms. The girls asked me, why do we do this when we pray? And I said, so y'all stop eating while we pray. That's why we do this. <laughs> you don't have to fold your hands and while we pray. You, just walking, talking with the Lord, praying without ceasing. And then gratitude, thankfulness in all circumstances. I, I'm always struck by the fact that the command is never to feel thankful. The command is always give thanks. Because feelings will betray you, and you may not have much you feel like giving thanks for, but there are always things to give thanks for. And this is what happens when you're in constant communion with the Lord. You're praying, you're rejoicing, you're giving thanks to Him. It's just a life of dialogue with the Lord. And it's, it's worshipful because it's driven by the Spirit who's inside of you. There's a difficult concept here, verse 18, I'm 19, where he says, don't quench the Spirit. 
Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. The idea of quenching the Spirit is like this idea of putting out the Spirit's fire. I don't know where the, the old song came from. I'm not even sure 100% what it refers to, but hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine, right? Won't let Satan it out. Remember that? Well, this is in out the Spirit, right? This is the light. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't it out. Don't put it off. The worshiping the Lord, walking with the Lord, the Spirit inside of you, He's going to work. This is why I don't believe in Christians who don't change and follow Jesus. That does not exist. Is if they have the Holy Spirit of God inside of them, they are going to love Jesus and start to look like him. And the, the works of the Spirit are evident in our lives. He always glorifies Christ. He always does. We see this in the book of John, Christ's prayer, sending the Spirit so that it will bring glory and honor to him. The Spirit always convicts you of sin. He loves to convict you of sin. His sin will lead to death, and he's there to give you life. He will cause you to bear fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. We work with the kids to memorize those. He will cause you to use your gifts. He gives you gifts and will cause you to use them. If you're ever resistant to looking like Jesus, if you're ever resistant to turning from sin, if you're ever resistant to bearing fruit, if you're ever resistant to using your gifts to serve the Lord and serve his people, you're putting out the light of the Spirit. You're quenching the work of the Spirit in your life. It's real practical, real tangible. And because we're a worshiping people, and we're a caring people. I think there's a, there's a connection here where he talk, talks about don't despise prophecies in verse 20 and 21. Test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. This idea of don't despising prophecies, this is not the idea that today someone, one of you might stand up and speak to the same degree as the prophet Isaiah or Jeremiah. That, that's not a continued gift. But there are days where people come to you and they speak to you a truth and you wonder, how did they know? How did they know exactly what I was going through? How did they know the exact truth I needed at that time? And sometimes people speak forth encouraging words to us. Sometimes those words are mixed with error. Sometimes there's truth mixed and then there's error. And you hold fast what is good, and you abstain from what is evil. And that's what we are to do as a people of God. Worship the Lord. Encourage others to worship the Lord. Speak truth to one another. Care for one another. And then if we see departure from truth, if we see evil crop up, resist it. Lay hold of it. Remove it. Just like you would in your home. Just like you would as a family. That's what families do. We worship the Lord. And then finally, dynamic number four. Because this seems to pile up, right? It's like, this is a lot of stuff. This is a lot of stuff going on here. Dynamic number four is that we're a hopeful family, though. We are a hopeful family. Look at verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself 
sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. I just have to say that sometimes over and over. He will surely do it. He will surely do it. Because I won't. I'm struggling. The hopeful family is a hope to be holy, holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y. Holy, holy. Completely. God is at work. And I love that Paul expresses it, God himself. God of peace himself sanctify you completely. It's a personal expression. God's not sending someone else to do the job in you. You are his workmanship. You are creating Christ Jesus for his good works. He's working on you personally. The God of peace is coming himself to you. To do what? To sanctify you. To make you more and more like Jesus. How much? Completely. Holy, holy. A a totality of holiness in your life from which no part is excluded. I hope that excites you. A whole spirit, soul, and body, the emphasis is on the whole person. Perfect integrity in every single part of your body. You may be free from lust, but man, you struggle with anger. One day you'll be free of both. Completely holy. Spirit, soul, and body. We strive for blamelessness, prayer, truth, love abounding in us as a family, caring for one another. Are we ever going to be blameless? Are we ever going to be holy? Yes. He will surely do it. This God of faithfulness. And his faithfulness is tied to this, right? His character is at stake. Verse 24, he who calls you is faithful, he'll do it. If he doesn't do it, he's not faithful. Well, God's not going to fail. He's not going to fail. And so we press in to Jesus Christ, knowing that he presses in to us. Some of you may remember Eric Johnson. He would talk about Jesus getting to all the unevangelized parts of our soul. And I love that picture because there are unevangelized parts of your soul and my soul, your mind and my mind, your loves and my loves that are not holy. And we need Jesus to get all the way in there. Someday he will. Someday he will. And in the meantime, we press in together towards him. So what sin do you think you'll never be free of? I hope you hate it. I hope you know what it is. I, th- I hope you fight it. And you're afraid you'll never be free from it. Someday you will. <laughs> what temptation do you struggle to fight every day and you're tired of fighting? Someday it'll be over. What area are you secretly ashamed of in your life? Because you know you're not blameless there. And you're afraid to admit it. Someday it'll be holy. Holy, holy. Completely blameless. And in that day, we will be a perfect family. 
Hope will be fully realized. Grace, love, prayer, truth, fully realized as we're led by our Lord Jesus Christ in perfection. Worship will be perfect before the throne. But until we reach that day of family perfection with the Lord's help, as Paul has said through, the, through this letter, let's do so more and more. Let's just pursue more and more to be a family of God here. You need one another. We need each other. We are a family, a gift from God to each other. So let's enjoy the gift of family until our brother, Jesus Christ, and our friend, Jesus, returns. And he takes us home to our eternal home in glory with our Father in heaven. Let's pursue that together, family. Let's pray.